Heavenly Father, you truly are the God who never lets us go. Lord, even though we have highs and lows in life, you are always there, right there with us through the thick and the thin. Lord, we pray this morning now, as we open up your word, we pray that you would open up our hearts so that we can not only hear what you have to say to us, but also apply it. Amen. So my wife, Carissa, and I have been blessed with three amazing children. And they bring us a lot of joy, but there are also times when it's kind of frustrating. Some of the worst times are after we get the kids through their bedtime routine and we actually get them in their bed, and we're just waiting and praying that they'll go to sleep. Most of the time, the issues that keep them awake is that they're afraid of the dark. And they have this setup that they want done in order for them to go to sleep. It doesn't work, they still don't go to sleep, but they, they won't go to sleep if it's not like this. They need their door wide open, they want the hall light and the bathroom light on, and then they want our door to be open at least a little. And there have been many times that we have gone in and given them their 759th glass of water. And then we've come back to our room and absentmindedly closed our door, which unleashes the gates. There are shouts and cries, and all Chris and I can do is look at each other, roll our eyes, go tuck them in again, and come back and remember to leave the door open. Our boys want our door open because it allows them to hear us, and it reminds them that we are there and that we are close. Our presence gives them comfort, knowing that we take care of them and protect them. Today we are going to be looking at Psalm 23, which reminds us of God's protection and his presence throughout our lives as he comforts and cares for us. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 23. All right, let's read this psalm together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, Psalm 23 is easily the most beloved psalm of all time. And I think the biggest reason that it's so popular is that it shows the deep care and love that God demonstrates to us on an individual level. Oftentimes, when we think of God's love, we think about it in terms of the big picture stuff that God gives us, right? God loves us by creating the world. He showed that by creating the world. He loves us and he showed that by sending Jesus to die for our sins. Or we think of his love and how he offers us eternity. But this 
psalm takes the relationship with God and brings it out of the stratosphere. And it brings it down to a personal level. David doesn't start off this psalm by saying the Lord is a shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is our shepherd. He says the Lord is my shepherd. In the writing of this psalm, David is reflecting on the personal and intimate relationship with God that God chose to have with him. We love this psalm because it reminds us of how much God cares for each and every one of us. And this care for me and for you is not a general sense of God cares for me. And he's interested in the highlights that we might share over coffee with someone we haven't talked to in a while. But rather that he is concerned about the every detail of our day-to-day lives. This kind of intimacy with God is something that most of us long for. And when we read this psalm and we know that David had this kind of relationship with God, it gives us hope and assurance that we can have that as well. David illustrates God's intimate and personal care in this psalm through two metaphors. He starts off the psalm with the metaphor of God being a good shepherd. And near the end, he talks about God being a good host. He uses these two metaphors to draw out and highlight God as a provider, a protector, and a guide. We're going to take some time now and dive into this psalm and see how David uses these two metaphors to teach us about God and lead us into grateful living. Let's look again at verses 1 through 3. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Now this psalm starts off in a very shocking way. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. Which, for our ears, that doesn't sound very shocking at all. But that's probably because we don't have shepherds in our culture. And we've heard this psalm many times. But in that day, this would have almost been a scandalous claim to say that God is a shepherd. And to understand that, we need to understand that shepherds were not really well liked or looked, people didn't have very high opinions of them. And for us, like, that doesn't really make sense because our sheep are usually cared for by farmers. And farmers have a nice little pen where the sheep stay. The farmer goes in there, gives the sheep what they need, and then leaves and goes, goes about his day. But a shepherd was always with the sheep. They lived with their sheep. They, they spent the nights out in the fields with their, their sheep. They were always with their sheep. And as a result, they were pretty stinky. So nobody really liked to be around shepherds. And because they, sh- they spent all their time with sheep away from people, they didn't really understand the social customs and the way that people normally interacted with each other. They were very socially awkward. They were seen as outcasts of society. We don't really have a modern-day equivalent of, of an occupation that is so reviled and out of touch with reality. I mean, maybe politicians come close to that. But I feel like that falls short because usually shepherds were the ones that were being extorted and used. But when we remember that David himself was a shepherd, we understand his unique perspective on the sacrifice and the devotion that a shepherd gives to his sheep. 
He endured the cold, rainy nights out in the fields. He experienced the risks of protecting the sheep from danger. And he knew that the the total dependence that the sheep had upon the shepherd for their survival. So when he calls God his shepherd, he's not referring to the shepherd's lowly um, position in society, but rather the depth of their love and care for their sheep and comparing that to God's affection and provision for his people. The next line of the psalm is interesting as well. It says, I lack nothing. And this explains how the great shepherd takes care of us in a way that we can can completely trust him to take care of our every need. This is not a reference to some prosperity gospel, saying that if we somehow allow God to lead us, that our every whim and desire will be taken care of and fulfilled and we won't have any needs or, or things we want. Instead, it means that when God is with us, we have someone we can trust and be confident in as opposed to having fear and anxiety over our needs and wants. Think about a time in your life when you felt particularly anxious about something that was important to you. I know for me, college was a major time of anxiety when I had my tuition to pay and I had all these deadlines that I was under. There were many times where it felt like if I didn't get this paper done or I didn't get this bill paid on time, that my dreams would become out of reach. There were a few moments where things seemed really tight, especially on the financial side of things, and where I would receive an opportunity from a roommate or a friend that had an extra opportunity for me to do something and earn some money. Or there was even a time when I found an anonymous donation in my mailbox that helped me pay for tuition that, that semester. I'm not saying that God magically made this stuff appear, but I believe it was God working through his people to take care of me. And that really encouraged me and helped me strengthen my faith, knowing that God had my back. And that's what David is talking about when he says he lacks nothing. It's saying that he has this deep-rooted confidence that God is good and that God is always looking out for him and taking care of all his needs and nothing would fall through the cracks of God's omniscient watch. The next three verses in the psalm describe three aspects of a shepherd's care to show how God is a God who protects, provides, and guides us. We're going to take a look at these verses phrase by phrase and seek to understand why God would use, I'm sorry, why David would use these interactions between a shepherd and his sheep to describe how God is like a shepherd. The first line in verse 2 refers to green pastures. The key to understanding this phrase is knowing that the significance of the word green pastures is not just referring to a place where green grass grows which kind of seems to be the face value. But this phrase is referring to something much more specific. You see, Israel and Wisconsin have very different climates. I didn't know if you know that, but free free tip of the day. Wisconsin, you know, like we have like winters where everyone wonders like why do people like choose to inhabit this place? This should be a barren wasteland. And in the summer, it's not too bad. It's kind of nice. But Israel, it's always hot. And like they're, they're a lot closer to the equator. So it's, it's a much more of a, 
a hot type climate. And as a result, during the summer and the fall months, the grass did not grow very well. The herd would have to find, they would find a place to graze and the sheep would eat for a short amount of time and then the grass would be, gr- would be gone because it was, didn't grow very fast, didn't, didn't grow well. And so then the shepherd had to lead the sheep to a new place, a new grazing area where they could eat for a while and then they would have to go and find another place. And so there was never really a time where they could just relax. They always were on the move finding different locations for the sheep to eat. But that was not the case during the winter and the spring months. During these times, the grass grew much better. It was rich and it was lush. And it would actually grow faster than the sheep could eat it up. That means that if the shepherd found that, that means if the shepherd found the right grazing area, a, a green pasture, the sheep would be able to eat and stay and rest and lie down and get all their fill without having to constantly be on the move, which meant that the sheep got rest. And it, as the, the, that line of the psalm states, they were able to lie down in green pastures. Just like the shepherd knew where to take the sheep, so that they could have these restful times in these green pastures. So God knows the things that we need, our everyday needs, and has the power to provide them. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. The next phrase compares God to a shepherd who leads the flock to still waters. This is an important duty of the sheep, not only because, you know, obviously sheep need water to drink, but they also need a safe place to get it. Oftentimes, the only place to get water was out of a river. And a rookie shepherd might let the sheep just go and drink water out from the river, but this left the sheep vulnerable to being swept away by the raging currents. A wise shepherd would take large stones and roll them up river and create... um, kind of like a makeshift dam, so that the water would slow down and be stilled. And the sheep could come and access the water without fear and enjoy a nice, refreshing drink of water. Just like the shepherd knows how to protect his sheep from unsafe situations, so God protects us and advocates for us. The third phrase talks about the shepherd's ability to lead the sheep along the right paths. This required a shepherd to know the terrain well and not get lost with the sheep and leading them in a roundabout way through dangerous lands that tire them out. But instead, he is able to take them across the most direct path. Just like a shepherd is able to guide the sheep to safety and not let them wander off and get tired through these winding paths, so God guides us and helps us to understand how to live life. He's given us things like the Bible and the people around us and our friends and our church body where we can have other people that talk to us and we can learn directly from his word how to make wise decisions and live as his children in his kingdom. He guides us. The fourth verse in the psalm takes a turn. The first three verses that we've been looking at so far kind of have a light feel to them. 
they seem to be pleasant and positive and show the good aspects of a sheep's life. But verse 4 takes a turn and starts talking about the dangerous and scary times. Let's take a look. Verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This verse is probably one of the most comfortable verses from all the Bible, um, at least to me. When I was in third grade, we watched this video in school of Egyptian mummies. Like They were educating us on kind of the process. Um, but I was in third grade, and there were a lot of just disturbing things in that video. And I want my kids to sleep tonight, and I'm pretty sure you want yours to as well, so I won't share you any of the details. But needless to say, there were definitely some images in that video that totally gave me the creeps. And I remember that night, there was no sleep for neither me nor my mom. After waking up my mom about 50 times, in fact, she suggested that I recite this verse to myself whenever I thought of mummies to remind myself that God was with me in those moments and that he was there to guide me and protect me. And it really helped. And even though that, that fear of mummies kind of stuck with me in the next couple months and years, especially, you know, after the sun had gone down and I wanted to go downstairs and get another board game, those were really scary times for me because I thought of the mummies, which is kind of funny because I don't know if you know this, but my parents are not Egyptian embalmers. So they didn't have that stuff down there. And, and in fact, my parents only have one dead body in our basement. And I can tell by the look on my mother's face during first service that she would appreciate it if I explained that that dead body was a taxidermied fish that my dad had caught when he was younger. There were no mummies in my parents' basement. But even through those irrational fears, this verse helped me to remember that God is always with me, and I have no reason to be afraid. And now that I'm older, I understand that this verse has deeper meaning than just a ritual we can recite to drive away the imaginary undead that live in our parents' basements. I understand that it can teach us a lot about how we can respond in the middle of trials and challenges that we face in life. This verse refers to a time when the shepherd had to transport the sheep between grazing areas, and they had to go through valleys that were between steep cliffs. And it was often so narrow and so deep that the sun would not reach the bottom of these caverns, even in the middle of the day. It would be very dark and hard to see. And as you can imagine, this was a very dangerous time in a sheep's life, really for two reasons. First of all, it was really easy for the sheep to get lost and wander off. And secondly, it was really easy for predators to hide in crevices and hide in the dark and try to capture the, sh the, the sheep and take them away for a nice, tasty dinner. Yet with the shepherd to protect them, the sheep could go through this valley without fear. And David tells us that the reason the sheep are comforted and have no reason to fear is because of the instruments that the shepherd uses when he takes his sheep around. It says that his first instrument is a rod. 
Now, a rod is like maybe a three to five foot club, basically, that the shepherd would use to drive off predators. And we know from some of David's other writings and from the stories of David in 1 Samuel and other parts of the Bible that David actually used one of these clubs to fight off a lion and a bear. So you can imagine, like, he was not like some, like, weak little, like, dude walking around with these sheep. Like, David was a pretty good fighter. He knew how to protect and defend his sheep with a big stick. And, know, and the sheep knowing that David was there to protect them gave the sheep confidence and it comforted them. The other piece of equipment that a shepherd uses is a staff. And this is more the typical thing you think of when you hear the word shepherd staff. It's that little, it's a much skinnier stick with a little hook on the end. And the shepherd would use this to guide the sheep. Like when a sheep, you know, started to wander off into one of the crevices or, you know, go down a place they wasn't supposed to, you know, the shepherd could kind of tap the sheep on the side and say, hey, don't go that way. That's, that's where danger is. Or if a sheep got caught or fell into a hole, the shepherd could use the hook on the end of that stick to get the sheep out of that or, or pull them out. So the sheep were comforted by the staff because they knew that the shepherd was there to protect them and keep them from getting lost among the crevices and the cracks of these canyons. And I think this verse is really relevant for us today as we see how God protects us because we often go through uncertain and difficult times in our life. Sometimes this can be a major challenge, like the loss of a loved one or a significant illness or injury. It can be a financial crisis or even a child who isn't following Jesus right now. These moments are just flat out tough. There's no way around it. Yet King David himself faced a lot of these moments in his life. Sorry, I gotta turn off. My, phone, my iPad keeps buzzing at me. I gotta turn off notifications. There we go. All right. King David faced a lot of these just dark, difficult moments in his life. When his brothers all got to go off and serve in King Saul's army, David was stuck at the low end of the totem pole having to be a shepherd when he really wanted to go out and fight and get a name for himself like his brothers. But instead, he had to watch the sheep. When the prophet Samuel came and anointed him to be the next king, the current king Saul got really jealous and tried to kill him a few times. When David first got married, his wife grew to despise him because of his zeal for God. He was so passionate about God that his wife hated him for it. And then when David finally became king, he made a poor choice to have an affair. And then he tried to cover it up by murdering the woman's husband. And then the child that was born as a result of that affair died shortly afterwards. And then one of David's other sons, Absalom, rebelled and actually managed to overthrow David off his throne, at least temporarily. And in the ensuing battle where David was fighting to get his throne back, one of his generals disobeyed his order and murdered Absalom. So David had to endure the loss of another one of his sons. So you see, David was no stranger 
to extreme tragedy and loss in his life. Yet David was able to get through all of it and still have a strong relationship with God. And the interesting thing about this is God didn't just wave a magic wand and just make all his problems go away. But David knew that God was there through him. God was there with him through these challenges. And I think sometimes you and I face pain and sorrow in this world as well. But we can look at these as reminders that we live in a sinful and broken world. And they can remind us that this fallen world is not where we belong. This is not our ultimate home. They remind us of our need for a savior and give us a desire to see this world around us redeemed. If you're going through a valley like that right now in your life, I want to encourage you to read through Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through the end of the chapter, which is 39. Find some time to do that sometime this week. These verses talk about the hope that we have to look forward to and how God will fix all the problems in this world and reveal his glory in us. And that doesn't happen right away, but that'll happen in the future when Jesus returns. And when that happens, all the pain and the sorrow that we have endured in this life will be a a distant memory in light of the joy before us when we get to spend eternity with God. You see, we do have a great shepherd who comforts us in his suffering, but he doesn't just comfort us. He is also actively at work solving the problem that causes pain and sorrow in our life in the first place. And he has done that through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. And he continues to do that through the working of the Holy Spirit that is active and alive even today. And so even though we go through these major trials and challenges in life, we can take comfort knowing that God is there. He cares about us. And he is working to solve the problem of sin. But sometimes in the grand scheme of things, we go through struggles that seem relatively minor. Maybe you were making this new recipe for dinner and it didn't turn out like the picture in the book and you're really bummed about all that time you spent. Maybe you were working on a house project and it took two more hours than it was supposed to, than you expected it to. Maybe you worked really hard on a paper that you're writing for school and you didn't get the grade you felt you deserved. Or your kids managed to get more of his lunch on the floor than in their belly. Even though these things seem minor in comparison to some of the other challenges that we face in life, they're still frustrating, aren't they? And the truth is, they still matter to God. He still cares about those situations and he's still there with us through our day-to-day frustrations. And we're, when we are going through these frustrations and irritations, not only is God with us, but he allows us to use them as opportunities to grow in our faith and grow in our character when we respond in a way that honors him. After verse four then, David switches metaphors and he begins to refer to God as a lavish host, providing everything that David could ever wish for. This seems like a radical shift in metaphors, doesn't it? Going from a lowly shepherd to a wealthy host. 
But this really is a picture of David's life and some of the things that God did in in his life. God took David, who was a lowly shepherd. He was looked down on by his family. And he took him from that situation all the way to being the king of Israel, living in a cedar palace garnished with golden gemstones. It's the ultimate Cinderella story that isn't a fairy tale. David's life was was filled with these extreme highs and extreme lows, but through it all, God was with him, and God's provision, protection, and guidance surrounded him through all of it. And so David begins to describe God as a host, starting in verse 5, and he states this, "'You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows.'" The first phrase of this section says that God prepares a table before him. Now, the idea here is not that God is like giving David a sandwich, right? This is referring to a a grand banquet that David gets to enjoy as the honored guest. This comes back to one of the major themes of the 23rd Psalm, this idea that God is a God who provides But now it takes a turn from just taking care of the basic necessities of life to blessings that are on a grand and lavish scale. We see this especially in the phrase, my cup overflows, indicating that David has this endless supply of good drink. Now, this passage doesn't tell us what David is drinking, but my best guess is that it's wine. And here's why. Throughout Scripture, there are quite a few references to this concept of overflowing wine. There's there's passages in Isaiah 25, verse 6 through 8. There's passages in Amos, verse 9 through 13. And in John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. In all of these situations, Wine is described as overflowing. And many of these passages are prophecies that state that when Jesus returns and finishes a work of redemption, his people will enjoy overflowing wine, just this abundance of wine. And so this this concept of overflowing wine is is a biblical picture of God's lavish blessing. And so I also think that this second metaphor of God as a host has a dual meaning as a result. Part of it is David just simply recognizing, hey, God, you have blessed me richly in this life. But it's also David looking ahead to the future when God fulfills his covenant with Israel and the entire world gets to experience God's rich blessing. There is this interesting phrase as David's describing this banquet in verse 5 that tells us that this table was prepared in the presence of David's enemies. Which again draws out this idea that God protects David. I mean, David was no stranger to enemies. We've already talked about some of his family drama and the conflicts with the previous king. But David also had a lot of other enemies as well. Some of his biggest accomplishments were that of a mighty warrior fighting for the nation of Israel. And he was also a very successful military leader. So he would have many people outside the nation of Israel 
that would love to see David come to ruin. Yet instead of fear or panic, David was able to just sit back, relax, and enjoy a comfortable, extravagant meal. And I love how this verse describes the banquet being in the presence of his enemies. Because I just picture David sitting there lounging in his chair, just kind of sitting there having this rich, awesome banquet of delicious food and endless drink, and his enemies are looking out there, just all jealous and upset that they have nothing that they can do about it. And David just kind of sees them out there, has that little chuckle in his mind, dilly dilly, and just keeps enjoying his feast that he's got. Because he has this great confidence knowing that his enemies are completely powerless to do anything about the lavish blessings that God is blessing him with. And they, they have no power to do anything to him. He's perfectly protected by God. And I think this is such a key idea to this psalm because we know that David's human enemies, they were not his enemies alone. These people were also enemies of God. And yet God protected him from them. When we go back to this idea that this table also represents the fulfillment of the covenantal promise, and we apply it to our lens of New Testament theology, we see that our enemies are powerless against us. Who are our enemies according to the Bible? Well, in its simplest sense, as followers of Jesus, we have three basic enemies. Sin, death, and Satan. And we know that through the cross, every single one of these enemies have been defeated. Not only by the cross, but also through Jesus' resurrection and his second coming where he will establish his kingdom and all those enemies will be completely defeated. So when we look at God as the God who protects, he's not, he doesn't just protect us by keeping bad things away from us. He goes out and he utterly destroys those enemies so that we don't have to fear them anymore, not in the present and not in the future. The next phrase in this analogy is, he anoints my head with oil. This refers to how in that culture they would apply olive oil and perfume to the head of an honored guest. That seems kind of weird because, you know, we don't really do that in our culture if, you know, if you were invited over to my house and I walked up to you and like slapped water on your face or oil on your face, you'd probably get mad. But in that culture, this was something that was very um, honorable to do. And as I said, the, this oil was not just oil, but it was oil mixed with perfume. And the result of having this oil or being anointed by oil was that all the other guests liked being around you because you smelled really good. And so the, the guests delighted to be with that person and spend time with them. They were an honored guest. And this reference shows us that God delights in us as well. And he wants to see us enjoying his blessings. We aren't just some peasant on the street that wandered in before God's table and are able to enjoy some of the scraps. No, we are his adopted children. We've been redeemed and we've been blessed with the seed of honor at his table. The final verse in this psalm talks about how God's presence and provision doesn't go away. It's not something that come and goes with time. Let's look at verse 6. David writes, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
This verse really points out that the reason for our gratitude toward God isn't just based on past events or present comforts, but on the assurance of our future as well. We know that God's love and his promises do not depend on our actions, nor do they change with the seasons. But his provision, protection, and guidance is always there for us. They are rooted in his character, not in our actions. And that's not only in this life, but the hope that we have throughout eternity. As we apply this psalm to the concept of thanksgiving, we can see that gratitude is a matter of perspective. Just like David, we will go through times in our life where it feels like we're in the darkest valley. And we will have times in our life where we feel like we're feasting at the table of God's generosity. But in all these moments of life, we are called to remember that God's guidance, protection, and provision are always there for us. And when we see it, we are called to give thanks. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are an amazing God who has so much love and care for us that oftentimes we don't even see it. Lord, I pray that you would remind that to us today. Lord, whether we're feeling like we're on the mountain enjoying your blessing or we feel like we're in the valley enduring challenges, Lord, I pray that you would remind us that you are there with us and that you want to see us grow closer to you. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to choose to worship you with our lives, that we would trust you and have confidence in your provision, protection, and guidance in our life. Amen.